Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, all of you lovely people, to Spicier Than Therapy, the podcast where we talk about polyamory, ethical non-monogamy, communication, kink, BDSM, neurodiversity, and all of the things that we think go into making a healthy, loving relationship. Hey, twin, what are we going to do this evening? The same thing we do every day, my love. Try to take over the interwebs. Yes, indeed. We are taking over the interwebs every week, and we're doing it again right now as we are on three separate platforms with some of our friends, found family, and followers. We're on Discord, we're on TikTok, and we're on the podcast. So thank you for joining us for this week's episode. We're going to take a slight break from doing the BDSM education that we've been doing the last three weeks and open it up to a live Q&A from all of our followers, either on TikTok or in Discord. So another shout out to everybody out there. If you're not on TikTok and you're not on our Discord, what are you even doing with your life? Not being nearly as cool as we are. Also, just as a heads up, you guys, this week, we're in Atlanta. We are going to be in Dragon Con at Dragon Con starting tonight. So if you are listening to this today, this morning, on whatever day this is going to be, because I'm terrible at dates. This Friday morning, if you are listening to this and you are in Atlanta at DragonCon, please feel free to keep an eye out. So if you see us running around DragonCon, come up, say hello, give us a socially distanced hug, and uh, let's hang out and say hi. Yes, and the questions are already rolling in over here on the TikTok side. And I'm going to start off with a funny one. And the rest of the followers, feel free to pop your question in there. Somebody likes our intro, and they said, so who is Pinky, and who is the brain? I'm just going to go ahead and say that that depends on the day and our moods, because there are definitely days where I am Pinky, and there are definitely days where I am the brain. So it just it, can, it varies, you know, like all good relationships. That's a great answer, and I think that I'm always Pinky, because I'm ridiculous, and I just kind of, you know, go with the flow. I may mastermind the plans. But I'm going to be ridiculous about it. But since we are going to be getting into some stuff, this is going to be a Q&A. I do just want to really quickly, you guys, throw out a uh, brief trigger warning, content warning, etc. So forth. We will probably, from the looks of things, get into a bit of a heavier conversation here. So uh, just, you know, if you're in the space to listen to this, great. Awesome. We love that. If you're not, that's cool. Go grab yourself a snack, have some water, drink some coffee and, uh, enjoy the rest of your day. We'll come back when you're in a better headspace or don't, we're not your dad. So we love you guys and just, uh, keep that in mind. Okay. So going forward, my love, what's the first question we want to talk about today? Well, just as an aside, I may be their daddy. Our good buddy at Metal Cowboy says I give people ear babies. Uh, though daddy is not my chosen honorific at all, but that's okay. But let's start with the first question that we got from the TikTok chat. So our first question comes to us from our live chat. Thank you guys on TikTok. We see you. We love you faces. Um, and it is from Astrid Valkyrie. And she, they ask... Uh, Aside from the obvious answer, honey, what is a polyamorous relationship supposed to be like? So the great thing about polyamory and ethical non-monogamy in general is that it's entirely customizable. It's supposed to look like whatever you want it to look like, whatever your partner or partners want it to be. There is no one right way to poly. There is no one right way to be ethically non-monogamous. It can look a million different ways. I will say that the basis for a strong and healthy foundation for a polyamorous relationship or even a polycule is always built upon 
trust, openness, honesty, and transparency. That communication is absolutely paramount to getting any style or flavor of polyamorous relationship up off the ground and operating in a healthy manner. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we, we've talked about this before on previous podcasts and I see Astrid, uh, I see where you mentioned it. We've talked about before how people like to try and use polyamory as a sort of catch-all excuse to get away with cheating. Um, no, <laughs> just short answer. No, don't do that. Um, polyamory is not cheating is not polyamory is not cheating. Okay polyamory comes with its own set of boundaries and its own set of, you know, rules in the relationship. And anybody that is trying to use polyamory as a way to get away with cheating is a douchebag. Um, and they should absolutely not be in that relationship with you. It just, it, it you're given, you're given the poly community a bad rep. Thank you, Jomo. Um, you're, you're giving us a bad rep, man. You're making us look bad because you're not polyamorous. You're just miserable in your relationship and want to get out of it. So that's the easy way to do it without being uncomfortably forced to end the relationship. Cheaters are trash and I don't respect them. So the next question that came in um, from Lilylu233 actually goes right in to that question. How do we handle negative comments and judgment about our relationship? So for me personally, probably the easiest way um, comes from one, like we've talked about before. Um... <laughs> Coco. Strawberry jello. <laughs> Damn it, Morgan. Oh, God. Okay. Woo. All right. So, probably the easiest way for me personally is just to remember everything I learned in therapy about self validation and self acceptance. Um, and just remember that, you know what? Not everybody's going to like what I do, what I say, what I'm, you know, who I am, what my relationship looks like. And that's a them problem. I don't have to give a shit. It's not my relationship. They're not involved in it. They don't have to like my relationship because they're not fucking me. And that's their absolute loss, by the way. But I will say for me, I say this all the time and I mean it. It's very important for me to be uniquely and unequivocally myself and to take my validation from me, not from other people, not from external factors or sources. So I know that polyamory isn't for everyone. That's okay. I know that kink and BDSM isn't for everyone. That's okay. It doesn't have to be. For me, it works and it makes sense in how I choose to show and express my love and affection. So when people have negative things to say to me about how I live my life, Sometimes I just, you know, if they're doing it in a good spirit uh, of communication, I will sit and I will listen to their opinion. And if they ask questions, I'll give my feedback. But I don't let other people's opinion of me invalidate who I am in myself. I'm very secure in who I am. I like who I am generally. So I think those types of comments just kind of roll, of, roll off our back. Yeah, exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, like, I, I live by the rule of three F's, you know, if they're not, if they're not funding, fucking, or what was the last one? Feeding. feeding. Yeah. If you're not feeding, fucking, or funding me, your opinion about me and my life and what I'm doing with it is completely irrelevant because at the end of the day, I pay my own bills. I do my own thing. Um, and that's, that's it. Like that's the end of the discussion beyond that. I don't care, you know, and granted it took me a long time to get to that point. Um, it took a lot of hard work. It took a lot of radical self-acceptance, but that's, that's just the full stop discussion, babe. So that does though, lead me to another question that came up in the, the chat from Max, um, about how do you think is the best way to go about a long distance poly relationship, which is how Tier and I got started. So babe, take it away. So if you've listened to our very first episode of the podcast, you know how Twin and I met. And if you haven't, and this is your first episode, we actually met on Lay Interwebs. Lay Tiki Taki, 
to be exact. And I was living in Texas and Twin was living in New Orleans and we would travel back and forth a lot to meet each other, right? To hang out with each other and spend good quality time with each other. One of the things that I found absolutely like integral to our relationship building at the time was to set aside enough time every day for us to communicate on more than just a surface level. So when you're starting to date somebody, it's super easy to just text back and forth all day and have good little one-off conversations between work and all that stuff. But it was important for us to hop on a, you know, a video call or a phone call and talk for at least an hour. Now, to be fair, to be fair, Twin and I for the first Oh, several months, we would talk for at least four or five hours every day uh, before work, after work, all that stuff. And we had opposing schedules, but it was very important to us that we had those in-depth conversations about who we were as people, what we expected out of the relationship and what we were looking for in a potential partner. And I think without that consistent, transparent communication, we wouldn't have been as successful as we were. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, to to kind of touch on very briefly, uh, Diantha, I hope I'm saying that correctly, uh, your question in the chat about how to learn to love yourself again. Um, for me, it was about going to therapy and realizing who I am as a person and, you know, really sitting down and evaluating uh, you know, what I liked about myself. You know, I like my therapist actually had me make a list of things that I liked about myself, of, you know, my good qualities that I'm proud of in myself. And once I was able to do that and really sit down and be like, wait, no, I'm actually like a pretty cool person. I'm like, I'm a good human. And once I was able to do that, I was able to learn to love myself. And that made it easier for me to love someone else, you know, in this case, tear. And hey, <laughs> thumbs <me>. up, <laughs> you know, and the other thing though especially for our relationship that i'm i'm really proud of is the fact that like because we started out long distance we were able to form a deeper relationship and a deeper connection than i'm pretty certain we would have had we been living close together right like i'm grateful that we started out long distance because it forced us to really sit down and work on practicing those skills we had each learned in therapy as far as, you know, setting boundaries, um, establishing like, hey, this is who I am and I like that person. So if you don't, thanks, see ya, you know, and, and it really helped us to deepen our connection emotionally and mentally than I think we might otherwise have done had we gotten physical first, like we have both been prone to do in the past. Yeah, we are both very like physical and sensual beings. So, and because our energies are both so big, we're both like whole ass unicorns. It can end up going that way initially with any partner that we meet, right? There's that instant physical connection and charisma and kind of connection going on. And then that deeper compatibility takes a little bit longer to get going because you're so focused on all of the crazy fun naked shenanigans, right? Um, but I, I definitely think it was a benefit for us to actually begin long distance. And then during that time, during the, the courtship time that I like to call it, we both traveled back and forth between states damn near every other weekend. And I think it wasn't until I actually moved down to New Orleans um, that we went more than two weeks without seeing each other. So that brings me to a really cute question that Lisa asked. I love this. Um, what is your favorite question to ask a new partner you've just met? Jer, I will let you go first, Melissa. So this is a good one. My, hold on, I'll stop. So that brings me to a question that Lisa asked in our live chat. And I love this. It's so cute. It says, what is your favorite question to ask a new person you've just met? Tier, why don't you go first? 
So this is a wonderful question. So anybody that knows me knows that my two biggest passions are travel and people. And when I say people, I mean, I love to know what motivates people, what drives them, what makes them tick, what makes them who they are. So when I'm meeting someone for the first time, I tend to skip all the, you know, what do you do for a living? How many brothers and sisters and shit do you have? Those kind of questions. And I go straight into the deep ones. Like, what are you passionate about? What makes you happy? What brings you joy? Because not only does the answer itself kind of help give you a glimpse into who that person is, but the way someone answers that question tells you a lot about that person. And it's one of the questions I love leading off with. Um, it's just knowing what motivates somebody, right? What, what gets them up every day in the morning and keeps them pushing forward? What about you, Twin? So I have probably um, like two or three, depending on how like the natural flow of conversation goes. Um, I'm a big fan of asking like, you know, uh, have you ever been to therapy and what made you want to go like that sort of deal? Um, I'm also a big fan of somebody mentioned it in our chat just a second ago of like, when's the last time you cried? Because that, you know, will tell you a lot about a person um and then i also just because like me and the trauma monster that i am <laughs> uh i really 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 like asking uh you know what was your childhood like you know what's your like how's your relationship with your parents like that sort of thing like those kinds of questions of like what was what were you like growing up you know like i love those kinds of questions because again I like knowing I, I, you know, stereotypical neurodivergent, right? I love trauma dumping in a way that um, encourages the other person to open up because it's that sort of like, here's my baggage. Do you like it? And does it match yours? You know, like, <laughs> like, it's just, it's a good way to find out whether or not they can cope with your trauma and whether they're going to contribute to it or not, you know? A hundred percent agree. And both twin and I both did that mm -hmm. when we met and it was important to us because for a healthy relationship, you want to ensure that you're also not trauma bonding over that trauma dump. So even though we were all just, you know, trauma dumping on each other, kind of talking through everything we had been through during those first initial stages, we took a step back and really evaluated ourselves are we bonding over trauma or are we bonding because we recognize each other on a deeper level? And so one of the first things that we did as well, once we decided, hey, this is getting real serious, we started couples counseling. We didn't have any problems. We just wanted to go to a professional and say, hey, here's how we got together. We really are fucking crazy about each other. Are we nuts? Are we trauma bonding? Are we doing this in a healthy way? And so, you know, shout out to the counselors of the world. Okay, so that now brings me to a question from my best friend, Coco. I love you. Listen, um, what is something you are proud of yourself and your partner for separately? So something that we are each individually proud of in ourselves and with each other. I love that question. You might should go first because my answer is both of us. I, I, my answer encapsulates both of us. So it's the same answer for me individually and for us as a couple and for you. Bitch, if you make me cry, I swear to God. <laughs> so for me, okay, so I'll start with myself um, because ladies first, obviously. Um, something I'm proud of myself for. Ooh, that's hard for me right now because I'm with everything I've been going through this year. It's been a little harder. Um, you know what though? I'm proud of myself that I haven't given up on myself or my dreams. I I've pushed myself this year. Um, you know. So last year, you know, at Christmas time, Tear was with me for this moment, uh, where I cried <laughs> while we were on a ferris wheel because i realized that even though 2021 was such a shit year for me for so many reasons um i 
had what was probably one of the best years of my life. I was living in my own home on my own with my kid, doing my own damn thing, paying my own damn bills, you know, hustling hard, but I was making it work for me and on my own. And I was living in New Orleans near the beach, which I'd always wanted to do since I was like 20, 21 years old. I had my own kid, you know, I had my kid with me and I was doing the damn thing and I still am. And now I have the addition of, I have an amazing, supportive, loving partner to go with that. And so like, I'm, I'm finally making my dreams a reality. And even though this year has been really hard for me personally, for a lot of reasons, I'm still doing the damn thing. So I'm, I'm really, really proud of myself for that. Um, and so for tier, my love, <laughs> it's a big cheesy smile. I'm really proud of you for <laughs> stepping up the way you have. Oh, I'm going to make myself cry. <laughs> oh. You. Oh, I need a second. No, we took them out. Um, You signed up for a life with somebody who was a spicy dancer and was doing all the things and was constantly busy and running and crazy. And this year has been very difficult for us for a lot of reasons. Um, medically, child, <laughs> you know, family and otherwise. And you have just really stepped up to the plate and done so with a fucking song in your heart and a wiggle in your walk that just is so incredible. You have stepped up in a way that I have never had anybody do for me in my life. And I am so grateful and so proud of you for being so strong and so amazing and such a wonderful man in person. And I'm proud that you're my partner. I'm proud of you. And that's a wonderful answer. And it really like warms my heart. And we have such love and affection for each other um, that it's awesome. We actually had to take a little mini breaks and go there and give her a hug and a kiss. But I'd say for me, my answer is the same for myself and the same for twin. Um, we say this all the time jokingly, but it's very true. We are basically the same person, uh, twin and I. One of us just sits in our masculine energy a little bit more, and one of us sits in our feminine energy a bit more. But we are very, very similar in very interesting ways. But the thing that I am most proud about myself for and most proud about Twin for is that we both staunchly refuse to accept anything less than the boundaries we have set for our life. That includes everyone ourselves, our friends, our family, our coworkers, it doesn't matter. We refuse to be treated any less than how we deserve. We have both been in such unhealthy dynamics in the past. And so for us now, we set that bar incredibly high, almost impossibly high. And so when we both met each other, it was something like, hey, we're never going to find anybody that meets these criteria. And yet each one of us just gleefully hopped over that super high bar that we set for ourselves and for others. And I'm very proud that even after this time, after uh, you know us dating and being engaged and now being married and having a family, we still do not settle for anything less than what we deserve. And that is included of ourselves and each other. And we all fall as people, right? We all falter. But when one or the other of us falters, the other one is there to prop the other one up, say it's okay, reinvigorate that passion and that stability in ourselves of who we are, and keep on fucking trucking. Okay, so now that the squishy love fest is over, um, let's see, Denise, I think, I'm trying to read this correctly, Denise, Michelle, asked, how did you positively introduce your polyamory to family and loved ones who are not poly? And uh, for me, at least, they just don't ask, really. Like, they know 
Um, but they don't really get too involved in asking questions about it, um, which is sort of how we, I mean, handle most things with my grandparents being from the Northeast and Minnesota. So, you know, it's just a sort of don't ask, don't tell basis with my family, at least. They catch on, though. They are very highly intelligent people, so they know what's up. <laughs> I think for me, um, my family has known not to really question my life choices for many, many years now because I so staunchly stick to that healthy boundaries with my familial relationships. So if somebody doesn't understand uh, a life choice that I've made or they want to question it, as long as they're coming to me with, you know, positive intentions and doing it in a respectful way, I'm, I'm happy to sit down and talk with people. But I set very strict boundaries with my friends and my family around the way in which they approach me. And so how I did it with them, with my family, is I just kind of sat down and I presented it in a very positive, affirming way, which is, look, I am able to express joy and love and passion and emotion to more than one person at the same time. We all are. If you have, you know, two parents, you can love both parents at the same time. If you have multiple kids, you can love all of your kids at the same time. You don't stop loving someone just because you love someone else. And so when I presented it that way, and I'm like, look, I can find something beautiful and something to love in damn near everyone I meet. Now, that doesn't mean I have a relationship with everybody, but why would I personally limit myself by that old school societally enforced monogamous mindset when I'm actually feeling these feelings? I don't want to live within the constraints of a relationship where I am unable to say or express how I feel. Now, you always want to do it in a respectful, healthy way, but that's kind of how I present it to my family. Right, exactly. And then like, as far as even just like, you know, friends or coworkers or whatever else, like other people outside of that, um, you know, to, oh gosh, who was it? Hang on. Um, I know. <laughs> um, to like Lissa said in the comments just now of like, I just talk about everything like it's normal. Yeah. I mean, when I'm talking to anybody, I mean, you know, again, my grandparents are very like, don't ask, don't tell, like, you know, Oh, your girlfriend. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, like the long-term aunt who, you know, or like the aunt who had like that longtime best friend or her roommate, you know? Um, but like for everybody else, I just kind of, you know, like, oh yeah, this is my person and this is my husband. And, you know, nobody really kind of questions it. And then if they do look askance at it or kind of give me any grief about it, I just, I just look at them. I'm like, I'm, I mean, what are you, what are you doing with your life while you're sitting on the couch holding your junk and eating popcorn alone at night, sir? Like, I mean, okay, you want to have an opinion about my relationship? How are you doing with yours? The way I've talked about it, somebody made a, a restaurant analogy, but the way that I've talked about it in the past is like, I'm essentially like a, like a cat, right? Like I'm very much like a porch cat, you know? I have my home porch. This is my porch where I live and I go inside and I love on everybody. I may run next door to the neighbor's porch and get some snacks over there and get some loving over there. But like, this is where my litter box is at, you know, <laughs> like these are the ones that are dealing with my everyday shit. Not the ones that, you know, feed me, love me and send me home. Right. Like I'm, I'm able to differentiate between the two. And then sometimes I have multiple litter boxes and that's okay too. I like the restaurant one. So our next question comes from Kaylin in the Discord chat. Any advice for choosing a safe word? I have whole ass thoughts on this. Uh, if I have to hear pineapple as a safe word one more goddamn time, but I'm going to let twins start us off on this one. So I would say when you're trying to think of a safe word, there's a couple of ways you can go about it, right? Like I know some people will have like a phrase um, that they use, that they would use situationally, like especially if they're role playing or something, like they might come up with a phrase, like a yellow phrase or a red phrase, right? To kind of take it back to like the stoplight method, right? Most people are aware of like green is go, yellow is slow down, 
pause, what have you. And then red is like, Hey, we need to stop. Right. Um, some people, if you're, you know, bound, whatever, or, you know, incoherent brain, no brain and, and brain go burr, can't speak words are hard, bleh, use physical cues. I know myself, I'm a fond, I'm fond of tapping out, <laughs> um, a lot. You're welcome. E. Uh, but it just really kind of depends on you and your person that you're involving with. Um, so I, I find something if you're trying to choose a, word, a safe word, and I'm I'm, go, I'm rambling now, but probably the easiest way is just to think about what you're doing and what for you is going to be like the easiest thing to think of if you need to go into crisis red flag mode, like I tap, I, I very rarely will actually verbally clue that I need to stop. I tap. Um, and that's just easier for me because brain go burr. Um, or if I need to slow down, I just say that, you know, it, there's no right or wrong way to safe word in my opinion. It's just whatever makes sense for you and your dynamic. Wonderful answer. I mean, everybody, everybody always wants to come up with like some fun word. Somebody in here said Chapatulas. And I was like, yo, if you can remember to say Chapatulas when you're in crisis mode, um, it, do you. But one of the things that I always talk about when I'm either vetting a new sub or when I'm already in a dynamic is where does your mind go when you are stressed out? What is the first thing you think about? when you are afraid, when you hit that point of terror. Myself as a dom, I never want to see anybody reach that stage of terrified. If I see terror in somebody's eyes, I don't care if you've tapped or called the safe word, we're done right then. I'm going to check on you. We're ending the scene, right? But I want people to think about where their mind goes when they're truly afraid and then pick out the first thing that they think about and use that as a safe word. One of the things back in my pro dom days um, that I would run into when I was working with subs is that, you know, if something became too intense, they would either go nonverbal or their body movement or their body um, would change in some way. The way they were reacted to things would change. But when someone was truly afraid, you saw that fear, you saw that terror on their face. That's what I want you to think about when you're choosing a safe word, because it might be hard for you to think about the word chapatulas or pineapple or banana nut bread. If you're truly scared, you might think of fire trucks for some reason or something like that. So whenever I'm suggesting someone to think of a safe word, that's how I always approach that. Well, that reminds me, that reminds me of like your uh, live that you were doing earlier that Lily and I were kind of talking and listening to you. Um, Lily and I were talking while we were listening to you do your live. I mean, and it was so funny because we realized like we've created a new term for what I enjoy personally um, about I we, we decided the term is subduction, right? Like I want to seduce somebody into submitting, you know, uh, Lisa in the comments made a joke about like, I like the terror. And for me personally, I enjoy that a little bit. Like I want them to be a little afraid of what's going to happen, but like not in the like genuinely scared for their life kind of way. I want them to be a little afraid of like, what's going to happen if I say no, like I, I want that sort of like, um, it's not coercion because obviously that's gross. Um, but I want to like lovingly gently comfort them and make them want to do the thing like no 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 baby i know i know you're a little scared of being tied up but you know what you are going to love what i do to you once you are you know like i want them to want what i am about to do to their body so yeah subduction is a is a is my thing and there you go you may all go about and use it just acknowledge that you found it here because otherwise I will hunt you down. Thank you. <laughs> we'll uh, apply the trademark to subduction <laughs> right. at some point. Okay, so our next question comes from Lissa uh, in the TikTok chat. How have you addressed the ADHD phenomenon of your mind wandering during a scene or a session, Twin? 
Well, and that goes back to, you know, safe wording, right? Because like sometimes brain go burr and I don't know how to safe word. Um, so for me personally, the ADHD thing during a scene, it does get kind of frustrating um, when I'm trying to focus on, you know, the different sensations that are happening to me. And there's a lot to be said for like neurodiversity in kink, um, you know, PTSD, ADHD, OCD, etc. right? Because if you are neurodiverse, chances are you are very If you are neurodiverse, chances are you are very like tactile oriented, right? You know, um, whether you have an aversion to certain things or an inclination to certain feelings, right? But that is a whole different topic for a whole different research paper and episode because <laughs> good Lord. Um, but for me, mentally, the biggest thing is that tactile um, physical sensation. I need to be sort of kept in my body. Yeah, I see that look you're getting me. I wish y'all could see tears face right now. <laughs> the shit eating grin. <laughs> um, I, during a scene, need to be kept in my body um, physically, right? Uh, because otherwise my brain will ping off into a million directions. And sometimes there's no reining it back in. And those are the times where we're just like, okay, no worries. That's fine. You know, and we, we change speeds or completely end the scene or whatever the situation calls for, right? Like here's a squishmallow and some water. Love you, honey. Bye. You know, sometimes that's all I can do. Um, other times it's a matter of tear using our phrase that I will not repeat here. Um, that's our phrase. Uh, sometimes it's a matter of tear using our phrase, you know, our little code phrase for me to kind of come back. Sometimes it's a matter of like a certain sensation that I need to feel. There's, there's not again, like, and especially because neurodiversity is so diverse, <laughs> there's no one correct way to do that. The best thing I can tell you, if you are neuro, if you are neurodivergent is to find what helps you kind of center, right? Like outside of the scene, outside of a scene, just everyday life. If you were at the grocery store and you're overwhelmed, or if you are, you know, overwhelmed wherever, like anytime you have that sort of overwhelm, you know, I know I'm, I'm repeating myself. Anytime you are feeling those kinds of big emotions, how do you center yourself? Okay. Now apply that to the bedroom. What helps? Is it a scent? Is it a feeling? Is it a sound? Is it music? Like do, uh, do a sort of checklist for yourself and your partner that you are entering into this scene with and give them some ideas. And honestly, y'all, it's just going to come down to trial and error. Some things are going to work. Some things aren't. Some things are only going to work. 90% of 100% of the time and 100% of the time stuff is going to work 80% of the time, you know, like, good luck, Godspeed and, you know, fingers crossed for you. Wonderful, wonderful answer. And this is, you know, why it's important to communicate effectively with your partners or, you know, with the people in your dynamic because neurodiversity is so diverse and there's so many different ways that it can present. And this is why, um, you know, myself, I don't do pickup play. I don't. I don't go to a dungeon or an event or things like that and run a scene with someone I don't know, with someone I haven't vetted. Uh, because there is so much diversity, specifically on the cognitive behavioral side, I haven't had enough time to get to know what someone's triggers are, what their clinical needs are, what their behavioral needs are, what part of their behavioral journey, counseling, therapy, whatever, that they're on. So a lot of people, when I would go to events, would be like, hey, do you mind having me sub in for the scene? Blah, blah. I just don't do pickup play because each person needs a different thing, specifically with ADHD, to come back into that scene, to stay into that headspace or stay in that headspace. And, you know, for those of you out there topping or D types or things like that, it can be something as simple as redirecting 
their gaze redirecting their body with a touch or a sensation or a look or a word as twin mentioned um back in to the scene so it's very very important that you know your play partners you know your dynamic partners on much more than just a surface level well and to that end though the only thing i want to add to that is like i've done a form of pickup play at the club when i'm topping people as a dancer because i do you know to go back to the subduction thing right like as a dancer i have absolutely topped people whether or not they even realized i was doing it whether or not i realized i was doing it but there's a difference too in those situations of like getting into a scene particularly something that will cause or could potentially cause physical you know bruising or what have you right like a physically um dominant dominant scene have i done stuff at work that was physically dominant absolutely i have been paid to slap somebody across the face because they straight up told me hi i would like this here's 200 dollars." sure okay I have absolutely done pickup play like that. Um, so in certain scenarios, it's absolutely fine. You just have to, like, like Terry was saying, you need to know that partner. And even in those scenes, you know, as micro as they were of me topping people, I still made sure that I was checking in. Because again, communication is the thing, right? Like, even if you are doing a small micro pickup play, check in. Hey, how's it going? What's going on? Where's your head at? You know, and that's something that I've always done as a dancer. And that's what makes me such a good dancer. Absolutely. And you can do pickup play and there's nothing wrong with that. Myself being, you know, I have basically three main parts of my D-type. The gentleman dom, the hard dom, and the straight sadist. The hard dom and the sadist part, I can't do pickup play. I mean, I could. I just don't want to. Um, simply because it doesn't fulfill the needs that I'm looking for. And I'm not able to keep people as safe as I like to keep them when doing that. If you do it, fine. Good for you. That's awesome. It's not for me. You're also much nicer than I am. And I just genuinely enjoy getting paid to slap the shit out of men. So there's that. <laughs> Look. Look, there's nothing wrong with that either. I think for me, it's even, you know, when we do demos and things like that, I'm not just going to have somebody come up on the stage and, you know, run a scene with me. Even if it's a, if it's a relatively entry-level scene, anybody that's doing a demo with me, we're going to do weeks of practice. I'm going to know them very, very well. They're going to know me very, very well. So I think it's just a difference of style, difference of flavor. Oh, that's a good point. Um, so Auburn Fox in our chat was asking about, um, or stated that they didn't know that one person could have multiple roles within kink. And even Haley just now is saying it's a lot more involved than I thought. Oh, absolutely, y'all. Absolutely. Um, you can and should be very, 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 very involved when you are entering into a kink scene, no matter if it's, you know, like I just mentioned, a little microcosm of a play scene, or if you are getting in-depth and intense with a regularly scheduled partner kink is customizable and it is as specific or generalized as you want it to be but there are you know safety concerns that need to be considered um and especially if you are like tier somebody who does fit into multiple categories and multiple roles you know and even depending on your mood could be affected by which or you know your your mood could dictate there we go your mood could dictate which role you're falling into that night i know it certainly does for us you know there there are so many different ways to kink and that's what makes it fun it's like sort of like a, a bedroom d20 i like it absolutely and you know that's the thing is like we are all unique and complex individuals we are not just one singular thing so having multiple roles or multiple things that you're into within kink is absolutely a thing for i'd say damn near everybody i don't want to overgeneralize, but damn near everybody so it's just like you know if you're in a specific mood like twin says one night to do a thing and then the next night to do a different thing 
that's okay. You can have your, you know, main things that you enjoy and some of your niche things that you enjoy, but we're all complex. So we can switch roles or, you know, go into a different style or like myself, flavor of Dom, depending on, you know, what the scene calls for, who the partner is or what the dynamic calls for. One of the things that I wish more people would do and this is not even just BDSM and kink, this is just sex with a partner, uh, would be to check in with that partner before you get started with your shenanigans because we're all in different moods every night. You may want it hard and fucking rough one night and soft and loving the next, and we as couples and partnerships and polycules need to do a better job checking in with our partners and saying, hey, how do you feel tonight? How do you want it? You know, and you can ask in a sexy way, right? It doesn't have to be so clinical, but check in with your partner all the goddamn time. Right. Well, and like, you know, a few people in the chat have mentioned already of like, you know, I'm, I'm a dom, I'm a switch. And this, this is generally like a switch um, tendency, right? Of like, oh yeah, no, I'm definitely either a dom or a sub with most people, right? Like myself personally, I and I have a very dominant personality. Shocking, I know. Uh, I do have a very dominant personality. But with the right person, like my wonderful husband here, um, I will happily submit because I enjoy doing so because I am safe to do so. It is He is a safe person for me to submit to. I have absolutely had people try to top me at work even and every single fucking time I laugh and remind them that my heels are longer than their dick so that is absolutely not how things are about to happen and it works and if it doesn't work I leave the situation because I'm not going to do that I mean they are eight inch heels so But that brings me to um, Bunny Seamus had a really, really good question of, do you think it's better to go to a bigger community for kink resources as opposed to where you live? I'm going to generally say yes with the caveat that goes both ways of it depends on the community, right? Like, if the larger community, if you're, you know, live, if you live in Podunk, Texas, and your community there is super healthy and loving and supportive, but you go, but then to you, you leave Podunk and go to somewhere like New York City and, and you end up in a shitty community, well, then no, it's not better, right? But, a lot of times podunk texas isn't going to have the resources or the community at least publicly that somewhere like new york city would have so yes and no um hesitantly tier what do you think that's my exact answer as well uh something to keep in mind not all bdsm and kink communities are created equally i've been to some in very big cities that are absolute shit, and i've been to some in smaller towns that are much better uh like twin said the bigger the city the more resources you will have and the likelihood that there are multiple communities each with their own style in that city is greater so yes and no just keep an eye on your kink community make sure it's a healthy one make sure it's compatible for you and the way in which you like to express yourself and play but just remember to vet your local community as well all right so our next question comes from dapper in the tiktok chat and it's do you have any tips for a polyamorous partner who has an anxious attachment style and i have some whole last thoughts about this one too but i'll let twin go first Thanks for throwing me under that bus. You want to hit reverse too? Yes. Oh boy. All right. Um, so as someone with an anxious avoidant attachment style, admittedly, I would very much caution that you get involved with someone who has 
uh, an anxious attachment style. We are very uh, damaged creatures. <laughs> um, and I say that lovingly, y'all, like, and, and obviously, like, you know, we, we, nobody is like truly broken or hopeless, right? Like, I would caution getting into a, I would caution against getting into a poly relationship who is truly with someone who is truly anxious still. Um, if they are actively like, okay, with the caveat of unless they are actively getting help for that anxious attachment and where it stems from, they are probably not somebody who is going to be able to truly be in a healthy poly relationship. I know I wasn't for a long time. I went to therapy. Again, all praise to Raisha Jack in Memphis. She's a miracle worker and I love her so much. Um, I don't know why I said that that way, but there we go. Um, yeah, just... It, yeah. Anxious, what are you doing, sir? That is going to throw me. Stop it. Stop it. You are ruining the experience for me. My husband is just playing with his light over there. Anyway, so <laughs> this is what happens when you give him a white claw. Um, oh my God, where even was I? If you don't, don't, if anxious attachment styles and poly relationships just don't mix unless you are in therapy and getting help from a professional for the trauma you just you, you probably probably shouldn't do it it's not going to be healthy it is not going to go well just be very very cautious that's that's all i can really lovingly say no i agree if you have an anxious attachment style you need to work on yourself and getting to a more secure attachment style before you enter the world of polyamorous polyamorous relationships. I'm not saying it's impossible, right? Never say never. And we're always speaking in generalities here because we are all unique, complex individuals. But the likelihood of being able to get into and establish and maintain a healthy poly relationship lowers if you have that anxious attachment style. Um, now, there are several ways that you can go about that. Twin mentioned a bunch, but really you need to sit with yourself. You need to sit with your therapist, identify the cause of that attachment style, and then try to develop a much, much more secure attachment style. And then you're golden. Oh, and that brings me back to a question that Kara had um, a second ago about um, uh, codependency, right? Like anxious attachment styles, we really tend to end up either in a, a codependent relationship, either as in, well, like we tend to end up in codependent relationships, either as the person who is codependent or hooked on someone who is. And myself personally, I very much tended to be in the past that person that ended up um, with someone who was very codependent. Like I ended up being that person who nurtured and enabled that codependent behavior because I was like, yes, I absolutely need you. I would love to need you. I wanted to need and depend upon that person because that's how I was raised, right? Like most women in America, yay society. I was taught that I should need my partner and that I should fulfill their needs. And if I didn't fulfill all their needs, then clearly something is wrong with me. Not that anything could ever possibly be wrong with them. You know, my last relationship, I spent so long convincing myself that if I could just figure out what I was doing wrong, then I could fix myself and save my relationship. Never mind the fact that my ex was a complete drunk and did not want to socialize with people and did not want to get therapy for his own issues. You know, he was depressed, he was miserable, and he was an alcoholic, and he was trying to drag me down with him. And yet, 
I convinced myself that I was the problem. And a lot of us do that. And that's why I say, you know, that it is very much one of those things that if you are someone who has an anxious attachment style, whether it's just anxious or whether you're like me, anxious avoidant, be very, very careful about approaching poly in your relationships. It, it's a very, very slippery slope. That's a great point. And, you know, I think many people have struggled with an unhealthy version of codependency or an unhealthy version of their attachment style in some respect. It's kind of societally reinforced in us, like you were talking about. And so breaking out of those societal norms and away from those ways that we were all raised is really difficult. This is why therapy is so important. Mm -hmm. All right, next question. Well, and that brings me to, you know, somebody mentioned in the chat, I haven't read the book, but uh, Wolf mentioned women who love too much. It's a hard read, but a lot of people should read it. I love that one. Um, another one that helped me was Polysecure. That specifically talks about the different attachment styles and how they can, you know, best have a poly relationship. So if you are at that point, I love that one. Another one, surprisingly, that really, really helped me is one that is basically like a modern day take on um, stoicism. And it is the subtle art of not giving a fuck from Mark Manson. And if you are in our discord, I will put it in there for you. Um, I will make sure it's in the show notes. I fucking love that book because it is really just about like a TLDR. Let go of the shit you can't control. It is such a simple phrase. That is such a simple phrase and it is so hard to do and it makes so much sense to do it. So why the fuck couldn't we do it, right? You know, we all get to that point of like, why can't I just let it go? Why can't I just let it go? I know I've been there, but you know what? Once I figured out how to let it the fuck go, oh girl, my life changed. So I know I'm skipping the question queue here, but Jojo Jody D just asked, like crazy username, by the way, how do asexual partners fit within a poly relationship? And this is a wonderful question. There are tons of ace people in polyamory. Polyamory doesn't necessarily mean sex. It can. Sure. Absolutely. If that's what your poly dynamic looks like, sure. Do the thing. It doesn't have to. So ace folks can fit very, very well in polyamorous dynamics. Right. Well, and like personally, I'm demi, right? Which is under the ace umbrella, right? Like I I don't like, at this point in my life, I don't like having sex with people unless I know that person and have that relationship with them, right? So on a, again, we go back to, it is so custom, like, what does ace mean for you? What does your asexuality look like? You know, are you somebody who can have sex or enjoys having sex once in a while? Are you somebody that doesn't like having sex and has a complete aversion to it? You know, what does your asexuality look like on an individual basis? That is going to be your best way to figure out where you fit in a polycule. If you're somebody that doesn't like sex, but you really like kink and you really like getting tied up, tied down and smacked around, fucking go for it, baby. Like, do you? We love that. Okay. Whatever gets your yayas. If you only want to be kind of snuggled sometimes on the couch with a squishmallow and get it in a cuddle puddle, bitch, we love those. Like, <laughs> whatever it is for you is how you fit in the polycule. There's no right way to poly. Ooh, and Hambone just had a really good question of, is it safe to talk to a therapist about kinks? Abso-fucking-lutely. And if you do not feel safe talking to your therapist about your kinks, don't fucking talk to that therapist. Find a new one. And I say that again with the full understanding that it is incredibly hard right now for a lot of us to find therapists. I know depending on where you are at will determine the availability of care that you can receive. 
I get that. There are online resources. BetterHelp is a really good one um, if you can afford it and if that's going to work for you. Um, I don't know what the exact name of the program is. I'll have to look it up. But <laughs> Cinema Therapy is a YouTube channel that I fucking love. And they have a Patreon where you can go in and specifically talk about um, like there, there's like a branch from their channel where you can go in and like talk to the therapist and he's really really cool and i'm like 90 percent certain he has resources for more online therapists so like there are options there you know and if you are like we are in a bit of a drought area as far as like in-person therapy see if you can find an online therapist you know or at the very least find a really good supportive community of people who have some of the tools that will help you. Um, I know our discord is always a, a very mental health friendly place. Some of us have more tact than others. Case in point myself. Uh, I, I have no tact. <laughs> it is not my strong suit. But you know what? If you ever need some tough love and bitch, I got you. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is my word tonight. Bitch. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. I'm I'm goofy tonight. Um, but yeah, like if you don't feel comfortable talking to your therapist about this certain aspect, that is probably a good indicator that you should find a new therapist. So that's the short answer. Okay, my love. We've already been going for about an hour or so. So I'm going to say let's get down to our last question of the night and then we'll wrap. And uh, you guys, dear listeners, will have to tell us whether or not we should do this again. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you in our Discord. So our final question for our live tonight is from Orion. Orion, Fear. <laughs> Take two. All right. So our final question of the night comes from Arian Fury Wolf. And they asked if we have any tips for a partner that prefers new and exciting more than anything. So we're going to break this up and I'm going to cover the poly aspect. So from a poly standpoint, if they just want new and exciting, swinging might be your bag. I mean, that really comes down to like, is it a problem for your relationship or is it something that you can work with, right? Like, is it, is it a quirk to their personality or is it a problem? with their personality that, that you're struggling with, right? Like, if it's a problem, then there is a very serious conversation that needs to happen, right? Like, if, if we are worried about personal safety and the safety of the polycule about whether or not the new and exciting is a problem, like, if there, if there is a concern that that new and exciting aspect could cause health and safety issues within the polycule, the relationship then there is a very serious conversation that needs to happen. But if it's just a quirk of the personality, like, you know, like a lot of us ADHD people who like, ooh, shiny, you know, um, we, you know, there, there are ways to make that work. And that, I mean, that doesn't even just apply to poly. That could apply to any kind of relationship, right? Like, ooh, excuse me. Like in your relationship, you know, instead of having Taco Tuesdays, I mean, just like fucking surprise. I'm saying Taco Tuesdays as a metaphor, you guys, um, you know, instead of like regular Taco Tuesdays, just like surprise him one day or them, whatever, you know, like, hey, bitch, I got your handcuffs, you know. Um, <laughs> I love your face right now. <laughs> you know, just just come up to the person to your partner and be like, hey, we're doing this new thing today, right? Like, and I mean, within their comfort level and be like, hey, what do you think, right? But it's just a matter of find what is interesting to them, what their new and exciting thing is that they want to try and just give it a shot. See if you like it. You may, you might not. And if you don't like it, okay, let them do it if they want to, you know, like, figure out what that's gonna change 
for your relationship. I know I'm rambling. Don't give me that look. So it just kind of, you know, it, it, it really does just kind of depend on your relationship. Like, is it a problem or is it a personality quirk? How are you going to make that work for your relationship? How do you want to make that work for your relationship? Do you want that to work for your relationship? And then also another thing to keep in mind, like with most things, is why? Why do they always want new and exciting? Is it because it's fun and we're going on an adventure? You know, like, is it something like that? Or are they bored with consistency? What's going on that makes them want to consistently have new and exciting? And on the BDSM side, the best piece of advice that I can give for somebody who is looking to explore new and exciting hire a pro dom go out and find yourself a pro dominant who is experienced and knowledgeable in the areas that you want to try that's why some people not a lot of people but why some people go out and seek the services of a pro dom they've done this thing and that thing but they want to try other things and their particular play partner or scene partner or dynamic or whatever they don't know how to do that or they don't have the experience to do that. So hire a professional all day, every day. And with that said, my love, that wraps up today's episode. So we sincerely appreciate all of you podcast listeners, all of you Discord members, all of you TikTok live crew asking us questions tonight. This has been a blast to film. Maybe we'll do another one of these. But for now, let's go ahead and do our traditional sign off yes sir all right everybody so my darlings my dear hearts my wonderful loving listeners be kind to yourself be kind to others give yourself grace love and patience and above all else go out and do some dope shit mm -hmm.